I love the lyrics of that song. It tells a story of a man who's seemingly talking to his father when he's a kid, saying, God, what's the meaning of life? How do you really make life work? He says, well, there's a lot of riddles, there's a lot of mysteries, a lot of things in life you can't figure out, but here's what it comes down to. It's about relationship. It's about you and I. Then he grows up, he has his own kids, and his own kids one day ask him the same question, right? What's that question? Dad, what's the, what's the riddle? What's the meaning of life? And he says, I picked up my kid from school one day. He said, Dad, I'm big, but we're smaller than small. And he says, well, the secret life is to know you're, you're loved, to be free. In our series, Fine Wine, we've been talking about the way in which the certain things that our grandfather said to our father, that said to us, that still influence us. And a lot of that influences us for the good. The people we are is because of the heritage, because of the, the family mottos that were given to us. And we look back and we're so thankful to our fathers or our grandfathers for the way in which they influenced us. We've often found, that we also have found, that some of the grapes have been sour grapes that have come from our past that we need to prune. And we're going to continue and finalize that today. And I want to do that in regard to this. I bet you you have some family mottos. I bet you have some family mottos that are spoken. You could say, oh, my dad always said, right? Oh, my dad always said this. And you could quote it. Or my mom always said, don't forget, blah, blah, blah. My wife would say, you know, at least eat the meat. Remember who you are. Those are some family mottos that she always heard. Then there's also some family mottos that are behind the scenes. They affect us and impact us just as prominently, but we don't realize it. Because it affects our behavior, but we don't realize there's a motto underneath that. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the family mottos. In the Five for Fighting song, it was, hey, I want to love you, I want you to be free, I want you to make sure you and I are the most important thing. But what are the family mottos that you had growing up that might need to be retired? So what I'm going to do today is, I've been telling you lots of stories about my life, my family, my parents, my grandparents. I'm going to do that today, but I'm going to hide the, uh, the identity of everybody. So I'm going to tell you some stories that incorporate my family. I'm going to tell you some stories that incorporate my, my wife's family. I'm going to tell you stories about people I've walked through the process that we're going to go through today. But I'm going to hide the identity of everyone just to honor all involved. And my hope is that as we're going through this, just like we have previous weeks, we've given you a, a brand new sheet. This is called a genogram. If you've never been through a genogram, we developed one that we think is very simple that we can do together. And as I tell some stories, you might think to yourself, oh, that reminds me. Oh, that is the kind of relationship that I saw in this relationship. So we'll get to this in a, little, a few minutes, but we're going to walk through that together. What are some mottos that need to be retired in your family? These are all mottos from real conversations I've had or we've had as a pastoral staff with folks over the years. One motto might need to be retired. Push through and don't think about it. had a conversation recently. Someone called up and said, you know, we got all kinds of family trauma going on and the issue is one of us in the family just says you just keep pushing you just keep pushing and the rest of us can't keep up and that family motto which serves well in a lot of areas is wearing us out it's creating tension in our in our marriage it's creating tension in our relationship it's pushed through and don't think about it and there's no time to rest there's no time to connect and you can see the obvious strengths of push through it that's a great motto but sometimes not thinking about the cost of keep pushing is how you end up with ulcers. It's how you end up stressed and worried. It's how you end up wearing yourself down in your health. How about this one? The kids will get over it. Someone shared a story with me about how every time his father made a promise, 
he almost always didn't pull through on that promise. And though they never said it out loud, what he felt as a young man was that, ah, the kids will get over it. That's fine, I just didn't get to it. It wasn't a priority. And that he has made a distinct intention of discovering that was an unwritten family value that made him feel less than as a, as a son. And now as a father, he said, I want to keep my promises. Even if I'm worn out, even if I'm tired, if I told my son I was going to do this, I'll go out of my way to make sure it's done. Because I want my kids to know their priority. And so he had to retire an unwritten family motto of, well, the kids will get over it. It's not a big deal. Or I don't need to apologize to them. They're just kids. Another one. I need to rescue my family members from pain. Many of us grew up in families that really had tender hearts. And they really, because of that, were really good pleasers. And part of that we want to keep. We want a tender heart. We want to be the kind of people who love other people well. And yet with that came... Other people should never experience pain. And though we learned our greatest lessons through the halls of pain, we protect our kids from the halls of pain. And we wonder why they're not developing. We find ourselves in a relationship where somebody is, is being verbally abusive with us or, or inappropriate with us. And, and because we have such a tender heart, and because underneath that is an unwritten family motto that says, I need to rescue family members from pain, we end up enabling addictions, gambling addictions, alcohol addictions, because we don't have in our family motto truth or the ability to put boundaries in place. The motto needs to be retired. Here's another one. I won't face any real consequences. I had a conversation with a uh, husband, and he was confessing a, an affair to me years ago. And as he did, I said, well, tell me how we've gotten here. And as he began to unpack the story... He told me that in, in a moment of anger, in a moment of haste, he had slapped or hit his wife. He said, but it's only one time. I said, I know I shouldn't have done it. I apologized. I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, it's only one time in your entire life of your marriage? No, it, it was twice. So I asked another question. So was it twice in the last week, twice in the last month, twice in the last month? So what you're trying to pretend is that you don't have a problem with anger and you don't have a problem with abuse. And so you tried to spread that out in the way you told the story. I said, where, where do you think that's come from? He said, well, my dad used to hit me and hit my mom all the time, and he never faced any consequences, and neither will I. I said, well, you know, we've been friends for a while. Just know I'm going to call the police on you because I care about you and because I care about you need to learn that there's consequences to decisions. And, and that became a catalyst to him making some significant changes. But it actually picked up this lie that he got from his father. It was modeled for him, which is you don't face consequences when you, when you cross certain boundaries. Here's another one. Grin and bear it. Which isn't that bad. Except that when you never learn to get in touch with grief or pain... You just say, I'm just going to push through. I'm going to push through and pretend it's all fine. I'm just going to look, smile on the outside. And then what we do is we model for our kids. Instead of teaching them how to deal with grief or disappointment or, or, or anger in appropriate ways, we just say, don't talk about it, grin and bear it, put it on a smiley face, it'll go away. And we never teach them the skills. And, and many of us were modeled that. We never learned the skills of dealing with certain emotions. We just grin and bear it. And what we end up having modeled for us and we model for others is this duplicitous life. We pretend to be one way and we pretend to be another way. And everyone knows, everyone around us can tell there's something not right. There's something not real about this. It's a family motto that needs to be retired. And as we go through that process, I think what happens is we say to ourselves, wow, um, 
I want to make changes in my life. I want to, I want to overcome certain obstacles in my life. Why can't I get free from this? What, what, what's, matter, what's the matter with me? And I want to propose today that as we look at these family mottos and, and retire these family mottos, we can begin to find freedom. Here's one more. Keep your head down and avoid all conflict. For many of us in marriage, it's hard for us to have healthy conversations because we picked up a model that says, hey, growing up, we didn't have healthy conversations. We didn't know how to apologize. We weren't modeled how to apologize. So just keep your head down and don't talk about it. Then we step into a marriage, and that's what we are. We are avoiders. We avoid any kind of conversation. We avoid any kind of an appropriate dialogue because we just that's how we survived as a kid. And though we never wrote it down, this is the real family motto. Keep your head down and avoid conflict and all will be good. So what's the matter with us and how do we overcome that? Well, here's our main point for today. To determine what's the motto with you, you've got to trace your family mottos. What's the motto with you? What's the motto with me? Often it's in the conscious and unconscious family mottos that are behind the scenes. So we began the series by looking at a couple different uh, mottos that God told us we need to stop using. And how they could bring us freedom. And the same thing is true here today. We'll look at that motto again. Remember God says, what's the motto with your motto? You've got this motto working in the background of your life that's affecting your decision making. Stop using this motto. Stop using this proverb that says, because my parents and grandparents ate sour grapes, therefore my teeth are stained. Therefore I can't change. Therefore that's normal. Therefore what you're expecting me is inappropriate. It's beyond my reach. And God says, I want you to no longer use that motto. No longer use that proverb. I want you to find freedom from that. So in a way that's very honorable, I told you this series isn't going to be about blaming anyone. It's about progressing. It's taking the great legacy handed to us and saying, how can I hand on to the next generation something even better than was given to me? And the way we're going to finish that today is that. What's a motto with the mottos that I have? And there's some mottos that we got that we say, I want to carry that forward. Oh, my goodness. My grandpa's ingenuity. You can do it. You can figure it out. That is something I want to carry on as a family motto into my generations. There's certain models we want to carry forward, but there's certain models you want to say, that part is okay, but I need to leave that part behind. Let me give you a few examples of that before we jump into our exercise. What are some mottos you might want to leave behind? And again, as I say these, you might go, I never thought of that, but that is in the background of my life. That was a family unwritten, unsaid motto. Number one, don't ask for help. You hear this all the time. Well, I don't need to go to a counselor. I don't need to go to marriage counseling. I don't need help. That's weakness. Versus when you do your taxes, you always ask for help. When you go to build a house, you hire an architect. So in every other area of your life, of course you look for an expert to help you. But in some way, when it comes to personal issues, because of the need for reputation or secrecy or pretending to be something you're not and how that was modeled, you have a family motto. I have a family motto that says don't ask for help. And it might be time to say, I need to leave that one behind. A one you might want to take with you might be figure it out. And great things happen when you get resourceful and creative. I want that to be part of my legacy. One you might want to leave behind that you picked up growing up was avoid talking about it, whatever it is. First, the motto to carry forward might be don't be a complainer or be grateful for what you have. Love always rescues others, and that's why you got into these codependent relationships. That's why it's hard for you to say no to your kids, or hard to say no to your sister, or hard to say no to that person who's, who's really inappropriately asking for the tenth time. And it might be time to retire that family motto that says love always rescues others. 
Because every time somebody's going to bash their head into a wall, if you put a pillow there, they're not going to learn that bashing their head into a wall hurts, and you're going to have a new job. Because every time they're going to bash their head into the wall, they now don't just appreciate, they expect you to put the, the pillow there. Versus owning your own stuff, owning what part you played in a marriage, in a conflict, in a dialogue with your parents. Where you say, instead of blaming, that's what I had modeled for me, instead of uh, um, distorting the facts, I want to own my part here in this conversation. Motto to leave behind, it's all up to me. In the sense of, you know, over-responsibility that comes with that versus planning ahead and being prepared might be a motto to carry forward. Good marriages don't fight. I can't tell you over the years how many times as a pastoral staff we've talked with folks who came up with a family motto that if you're really in a good marriage, if you married the right person, you don't fight. And those of us who've been married go, really? Really? But if you never see your parents fight in a healthy way, then you assume that either they have a bad marriage and you don't want it, or they had a great marriage, but it was magic. They just magically agreed on everything. Because you never saw modeled in the same way um, in your family, do your kids see that healthy people with differences disagree and they learn how to apologize, to share needs, to compromise? When you model that, it impacts generations because now they have the tools that they saw that they get to incorporate into their marriages, into their life. Fight for your marriage versus give up too soon. Maybe you have a family heritage of uh, dad changed or mom changed uh, you know, life all the time. It was every time things got bad, it was change houses and change spouses. And you wouldn't have said it that way, but that's really the family motto versus, you know, I want to fight for my marriage. This is worth fighting for. We're committed to each other. And part of the process of growing in marriage is learning to fight with and for each other. Give you two more. It's all about the chemistry. Every good relationship is built on chemistry. It sort of permeates all of our media versus great intimacy takes work. I had this conversation with uh, my teenagers several times to say, you know what, no one has an honest conversation about the challenges of adapting each other's appetites in marriage. So I'm going to have honest, they're going to be awkward conversations for you. They're going to be awkward. But I want you to know, I want to have real conversations about intimacy and the challenges of that and how to communicate on that. Because if you learn to talk about it now when it's awkward, it will be helpful when you're in marriage and you need to talk about it. Sex isn't a, a, a talk you give. It's a topic you teach. F- find a good triangle. Most of us, you'd say, that's not mine. But in your family, what happens is so-and-so is mad at so-and-so. So what happens in your family? Does so-and-so call so-and-so? No, no, no. So-and-so calls such and such who calls so and so. And you've learned that the way to communicate conflict in your family is find a good triangle. And the dysfunction and the hard feelings and the weirdness of your family is because there's a family model that says don't talk direct, always go through a triangle. Versus the Bible would advocate a great way to interact in, in relationships, as hard as it is, is address the issue one on one. So, what are the mottos you need to leave behind? What are the ones you want to carry forward? Secondly, God says, the reason I want you to do this is, is say, what's the motto with these mottos and what's the matter with these grapes? The things that were handed to me that maybe need to be pruned, they're not producing freedom in your life and they're not producing life in your life. I mean, you're living physically, but you're not living the kind of life, the kind of freedom I want you to live. And so look how many times God mentions life. If you'll go through this process of pruning and honoring, you can live. As I live, says the Lord, if you walk in my statutes, if you keep my judgments faithfully, if you're just, you can surely live. If you do evil, 
Are you going to live? Are you going to be experiencing the best kind of life? No, you're not going to live. If, however, a person begets a son who sees the mistakes or sins of his father who weren't living the best kind of life, and he considers that and he changes his ways, he will surely live. You're not pre-programmed. Even if you had something bad modeled for you, you can examine it, you can consider it, and make changes with it. God goes on and says this, None of the transgressions which he committed shall be remembered against him when you ask for forgiveness and make changes. Because of the righteousness done by him, he will live because he turned from those ways to live. So repent, which means to turn. Turn from your transgressions so that the iniquity, it's a big religious word, just means wrongdoing, will not be your ruin. I love this. Cast away from you all these transgressions which you have committed. And here's what you get when you go through this process. I love this. Why would you go through all this work? Oh, let's just avoid it. My family motto of avoiding it so much better than this, Chad. Last two weeks have been painful, and I just can't wait for the series to change. It'll be over. But look at the promise, God says. If you will cast away these things, if you can identify these things, God offers you a new heart and a new spirit. Turn and live. He wants us to be free and to live. All right? So with that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try and consider the relationships that were modeled for you and the relationships now modeled from you. That we can cast away all the transgressions or sour grapes and get that new heart and new spirit. I'm going to give some instructions here. We'll watch a video real quick and then we're going to dive in. I'm going to walk you through some of these relationships together. Let's watch. is a crossroads. It's a crossroads of what was modeled for us in our family vineyard, between every two leaves with some way in which they interacted with one another. Let's describe these relationships with three colors, red, blue, and green. For some of us, the relationship between our grandmother and grandfather was really hostile. I mean, there was anger in the house growing up, and you wonder why your dad or your mom uh, is who they are today. It's because what was modeled for them was hostility. For others of us, the relationship between you know, mom and dad was very blue, very emotionally close. Sure, they weren't perfect. They had this ability to encourage one another, forgive one another. And you would say what was modeled for you between those two people was very emotionally close. Others of us, what was modeled for us between a brother or sister, a mom or dad, between a son and a daughter, was actually a distant relationship, green. They didn't even seem to like each other. They didn't even seem to hang out at all. In the same way, a distant relationship, there's a difference between distance and neglect. And it may not even be someone's fault, right? It could be that someone passed away. Maybe your grandfather died when your dad was 10. But the neglect of not being there certainly impacted who they became, how they related to the world. So what I want you to do is take the three colors, green, blue, and red, and color in the different grape clusters between each person in your family vineyard in hopes that by tracing what was modeled for your parents and your grandparents, and for you, you can make a decision to change some of those patterns and model different grapes, different relationships with your wife, with your son, with your daughter, so that you can impact the next generation differently than maybe how your parents and grandparents impacted you. So if you want to pull out that sheet, and again, there's no pressure to fill that out. Um, for some of us, we don't want to fill it out because we're private people in front of others. But I want to try and just tell you some stories that might help you Mentally do this or physically do this as we look at the types of relationships modeled for you. 
And for some of us, you're going to say, I don't even know about my grandparents' relationship because we didn't talk about it. So sometimes this takes some research. And again, let me tell you some stories about that. One of the easiest things to do when you look at this is usually you can notice a pattern. You might say, Grandma and Grandpa, they were good people. I loved who they were, but they didn't seem to really know each other, enjoy each other, or talk about anything. So I would say it's a distant relationship. When I think of my dad's relationship with my grandfather, distant. I mean, they can talk about the weather and sports, but nothing deeper than that. In fact, now that I think about it, dad sort of had the same thing with grandma. Then you wonder, in my relationship with dad, it seems like I don't really know him. He doesn't really know me. I mean, I like him. He likes me, but I'm not sure I know my father. And then you start looking at me, your relationship with your spouse and say, yeah, we got some some good moments, but you know, there's also some distant moments that we haven't been able to unpack. Maybe you look at your relationship with your kids, whether you've got one, two, or three, or stepkids, and you go, wow, there's a lot more emotional distance than there is closeness. And when you see the pattern, you start seeing the green that I'm struggling with now in the relationships I'm modeling down really came from I was modeled something I don't even have the tools to know how to do emotionally close. I didn't have somebody speak into my life that way. I'll give you a couple of real stories here. I was talking to a, a guy who shared a story this week with me. He said he didn't understand why his relationship with his father was a combination of hostile and distant. He decided he wanted to change that for himself and for future generations. But in order to figure out what his relationship was like with his grandfather, how did dad and grandpa relate? He had to ask his great-grandmother, who told a story that when his dad was 14, his dad took out a whip and whipped him so badly he knocked him unconscious. His dad woke up and took out a pocket knife and cut that whip into one-inch pieces, took a pile of that whip and placed it outside of his father's door, and ran away for two years. And suddenly, though his dad has done some pretty bad things, he suddenly had an appreciation that, my goodness, how much must that have impacted a 14-year-old? And he also got to honor his dad because though my dad grew up with that kind of abuse, my dad never hit me, my dad never abused me. My dad passed on to me something better than was passed on to him. And he had some empathy for his dad. And he made some decisions that he, because he's seen those modeled, he wants to have a different kind of relationship, an emotionally close kind of relationship with his kids by specifically looking at those patterns. I'll give you another person to talk to. would say that growing up, this person's relationship with grandfather was not only hostile, but it was abusive. There was physical abuse, there was sexual abuse, and because of that, a grandmother uh, really enabled that, didn't talk about that, so there was hostility there, and just grew up under constant hostility. Didn't have any money, and so the, the need for hoarding and piling up stuff, and, and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed of that, but the hoarding that happens in the family is, is a way of saying, at least I can control this, and at least, at least this area of my life uh, reminds me that I'm not poor because I have stuff. And in the relationship growing up between the mother and the father, there's a lot of hostility. Just nag, 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 uh, scream at each other, criticize each other, never look at each other. You criticize at the wall. You never look at each other. Well, you can see how those patterns then make it hard when you get in the marriage to go, wow, I know I don't want to go to mom and dad's house. But the problem is mom and dad's patterns are, are happening in our marriage. How do we make 
specific decisions to say, I want to forgive, I want to understand what they came from, but I want to make some changes in my life as well. I sat down with a, a guy recently and went through this genogram together, and I said, tell me about your relationship with your dad. He said, well, you know, what's amazing is I don't really know my dad, or my mom for that matter, and they had a very distant relationship with each other. He said, I think the issue, though, was that they were supposed to be good Christian models. They were the Christian leaders, the Christian teachers. And, and so they were set up as the ideal, and yet I don't think I knew them and they didn't know me. But as long as I performed well, I would get praise. But I had all kinds of secrets in my life and addictions in my life they didn't know about. And as I've recently found some freedom in that, I came back and I began to tell them that I wasn't who I pretended to be. And I'm starting to find freedom and, and my relationships are getting better. And they're actually criticizing me. They don't like the new freer version of me I've become. He says, how can that be? He says, I feel like I had an emotionally close relationship with my mom. I said, well, you may have had an enmeshed relationship with your mother. He said, well, tell me about that. So actually with his mother. Let's go with your mother. I said, a enmeshed relationship is instead of your parents giving love and respect to you, they're taking it from you. And sometimes something that looks like an emotionally close relationship is an enmeshed relationship. He said, tell me more. I said, it's a classic example. Instead of mom hugging you, mom's actually needing a hug from you. Instead of mom and dad praising you for your accomplishments because they're so proud of you, they need you to accomplish things so they can feel better about themselves and tell stories to other people. So you then, you can't fully articulate it, but you feel this, I guess we're close, but I also feel overly needed like, instead of love coming my way, it's like love's going that way. He said, I said, and now that you've come back as an adult and you're making changes, they're very hostile to that, aren't they? Yeah. Because they're saying, no, you are our redemption. Our parenting can't be that bad because at least you turned out all right. Our other son screwed up. That's his mistake. And he, he pulled out a family motto as we we're sitting at lunch that day. He said, you know what? You are so right. He said... As I'm going through this process, my, my, my parents said to me, we, we, we don't like this new calling us up and wanting to get to know us thing. That's weird. Why can't we just go back to you telling us about the new deals that you're closing? The great, here's the motto. The greatest privilege we had as parents is hearing about your accomplishments. End quote. Yeah, it could just be a poor wording. That's certainly possible. But he's like, this under explains why my drivenness was I was a hungering for why can't I just be loved or blessed for who I am? Another relationship, parents' relationship was a combination of emotionally close as well as hostile, depending on the moment. Well, not hostile. This story is more like emotionally close with some distance. But there's also an enmeshed relationship. Because of that enmeshed relationship, uh, the son told me a story about he felt closer to his mom and his dad sometimes than they did to each other. So in sixth grade, there was sort of the big conversation where mom and dad, for the first time ever, said the words divorce. And this son felt the pressure that it was his job to keep mom and dad together. And this sense of over-responsibility or this sense of it's my job to fix the situation as if he could control the world. And that enmeshed relationship, meaning it's my job to, to help mom and dad stay together, stayed with him and created an over-responsibility relationship moving downward through the family line. I'll give you one more talked to a friend he said he and his dad always had a hostile relationship still do to this day and I said well tell me a little bit about that 
He said, my problem is when I look at in my relationship with my kids, it's distance, it's distance. It's never what I wanted when I had my kids. I love them. I want more than this. But this is what I have. How can I change that? And as he began to look at the pattern, he realized that he and his father had this very distant relationship. And as he sort of came clean with a you know, multi-year-long affair and other pieces, he started going through some healing. He started doing some counseling. And he said to me a statistic that's striking. He said 100% of sex addicts, 100% have a bad relationship with their father. He said he realized that he never learned how to deal with disappointment. The, the family motto was, when somebody hurts you, you don't admit you're hurt. You just power up. He's looking at his relationship with his spouse and saying, my goodness, we've moved from distance to hostile. And the other day I was disappointed because I didn't feel very appreciative to what I was doing and the work I was doing. And so in a conversation in front of my teenagers, when I felt hurt, instead of being able to articulate that I was hurt, I said, darn it, I'm, I probably didn't say darn it, darn it, I'm a good lawyer. And when I divorce you, I'm going to get everything from you. Just imagine the pain that deposited into the marriage, into the kid's life. Now he would say right afterwards, why did I say that? Because you grew up with a motto. This is when you're hurt and you feel vulnerable, you strike back and you strike back hard. You don't say, I'm hurt, I need appreciation. You say, I'm in control here. And I said, this goes back to what you had modeled for you. Growing up, you, had, you got in fist fights with your father regularly. Might be time to examine that and to see how that might have impacted you. Now, on the other hand, I've given some examples of negative ones. There are other ways in which we look at our grandparents. I talked to somebody this week. He said, you know what? One of the greatest marriages I had modeled for me was my grandparents. I think it's the only one I might consider emotionally healthy. Now, let me give you some definitions there. Seemed to enjoy each other. Had the ability that when they had a fight, whether they were loud fights or quiet fights, they could repair it. Whether it was bringing some coffee. Whether it was taking them out to a favorite dinner. But there was some way in which you saw their ability to repair. What psychologists call repair attempts. To own some part of what they did. That's emotionally healthy. They seem to enjoy them. And we have marriages like that. You say, you know what, I could see that in my family line. Or you say, no, I couldn't see it in my family line. But I met somebody like that and said, that's the kind of marriage I want. And God says, you can do that. You can examine and find. There may not be a lot of them. But some relationship with emotional health and say, how do we get what you have? How do we untangle ourselves from our junk? And that's why today, I want you to look at the family tree in such a way that you could look at we've been going backwards this is the first time i want us to go forward so you can just think about this as we're finishing up what's your relationship like with your spouse is it distant is it hostile is it emotionally close and you definitely don't want to write that down right now because they're sitting next to you and i talked to a guy recently who had emotional distance from all of his kids and his spouse. And I sat down with him, and he said, I've blown it. 18 years, I've blown it. My kids are about to leave for college, and I've missed the opportunity. I said, well, there's a great verse in the Bible that can give you hope. He said, what's that? I said, the Bible says in Psalms, teach me to number my days that my heart might be wise. Let's number your days. He goes, what does that mean? I said, how many days till he leaves for college? And we counted it up. It was 122, I think. I said, you have 122 days to change this pattern. Because we live with the lie, the family model. You've got time, you'll make up for it. It's not a big deal. You've got plenty of time. That's one of the family lies we have. I said, no, no, no. You have 122 days. 
I met back up with him after the timeline was up, and he said, I cannot tell you how free I am. I can't tell you the changes God's doing in me and in my marriage, my family life. I said, let's get to the more important thing. How did you do with the 122? He said, my relationship with my son is something I never thought I could have again. It's moved to emotional closeness. Even at college, I'm doing texts of encouragement to him. I'm trying to do unto him the things I didn't do for 18 years. And it's amazing how we've done in 122 days what I couldn't have done 18 years. And that's the power of what God says is you can live. If you will cast away these patterns, if you will examine these, these patterns that have been modeled for you and say, I want to examine what's been modeled for me and also what's being modeled from me. And if you'll do that and go through the process of pruning and use this as a tool, God says you can have freedom in your life and you can have a sweet, fine wine in your life. What's the motto with me? In our moments of honesty, we'll say it often. What's the motto with me? Well, what's the motto with you and I might be we've never looked into our family mottos and traced them and decide which ones we're going to leave behind and which ones we're going to carry forward. Because on the positive side, many of us look at our grandparents and our parents and say, my goodness, what they've given to me, what they've entrusted to me, what they've, what they've modeled for me wasn't all good, wasn't all bad, but wow, was that part amazing. Wow, was their characteristic amazing. Wow, did that change my life. Wow, did that sense of duty and honor. I talked to my father-in-law this week, uh, two weeks ago, and I said, I heard you enlisted in Vietnam. He said, yeah. I said, enlisted? Yeah. I want to go and fight for our country. He said, and I got a special uh, score on, uh, when I went into the Marines. They said I could get in the select um, airplane division. I said, did you take it? He says, no. I said, why not? Because it would have taken me out of the, out of arm's way, out of harm's way. Of course I didn't take the easy routes. All my friends were going to take the hard route. I went the difficult route. And I said, my goodness, Butch. Your sense of courage and your sense of honor is amazing. He said, I didn't say I was very wise. I said, I didn't say you're very wise either. <laughs> but I am, I am honored by your courage and your sense of duty. In the same way that our parents and grandparents have passed us things that we want to carry on, what if you and I decided that we're going to do the hard work that our parents and grandparents didn't do so we can build a family legacy moving forward that's built from the ground up? Father, I just thank you for uh, this series. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to think about things that we never think about. And God, I just ask that you would bring healing, that you would bring challenge, that you would bring new tools into our life, new awarenesses into our life. For each person here, Father, who has experienced just a history of distant relationships, will you remind them that you want to know them for who they are, not just what they do. They're more than their deeds, they're more than their achievements. God, they are loved for who they are, and you want to be their God. For those of us who looked this morning and we were not happy with the reflection of what's being modeled from us, Father, would you bring forgiveness? Allow us to cast aside and, and acknowledge the ways in which we're not living the life we really want to live. Would you forgive us for the hurts we've caused unintentionally or, or through just having bad tools? And God, would you bring to mind the family mottos that we want to honor? And the family models we want to retire. Maybe as we close today, you just want to say a word to God in, in the quietness. Maybe you just want to ask God for help. Or maybe you want to tell God a specific model you're going to retire. I'll give you a minute to do that.
Father, I thank you. I thank you for the ways in which you brought freedom into my life. I thank you for the great things my grandparents did, the incredible things my parents modeled. And Father, I thank you for them doing the very best they could with what they had. And Father, I ask for the same for each person here, that you would bring freedom to them, you'd bring wisdom to them, that we can pass on something from the ground up that's even better for those who come after us. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for our time of honesty. And we ask that you bless our endeavors to uh, dig into the soil and to produce the best vineyard and the best wine that we can. And through all that, we ask for your help and your reign to go upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. If you've hated this series, it's over. So it's good to have you with us, and we'll see you next week. We start something new. Thanks again.